welcome to the first ever episode of Bookhounds, the Rundown podcast. In these podcasts, we will review a running book, uh, specifically the book of the month for Bookhounds subscribers. So what is Bookhounds, I hear you ask? Um, Well, Bookhounds is a running club and a book group. We offer a monthly book box subscription delivering running inspiration to your door. For more information and to join, head to bookhounds.club. This month's book is Finding Gobi by Dion Leonard. My name is Shah and I'm top dog and founder at Bookhounds and I'm joined on the line by fellow Bookhound, our Soundhound Jack. Hello Jack, how are you today? Hiya, I'm, I'm pretty well, thank you. That's great. Have you done any interesting runs this week? Um, I've been kind of desk bound this week a little bit, but um, I managed to get out for one last night. Um, pretty dark and wet and managed to get lost in the park that I run around every day and have done for the last four years so uh, (laughs) how did you manage that I kind of um, just thought I'd like go around the lake then realized that because of the rain the lake had flooded so I had to kind of cut off just off the path and it was just all a bit disorientating really I was very underslept as well so maybe not (laughs) not recommended on four hours sleep (laughs) Well, it sounds like an adventure, at least. It was an adventure, yeah. Yeah, it was still good to get out. It's not been great running weather this week, to be fair. No, no. So, um, so also on the line, uh, we're joined by a very special guest, Helen from Canny Cross UK. Hello, Helen. How are you today? Yeah, good morning. Yeah, very well. Yes, yeah. A little bit stressed out, but I'm, I'm all right. Thank you. Yes, yeah. Oh, great. Well, I hope we can have a bit of fun so that you're not too stressed this morning. <laughs> Um, before we get started on the book, Helen, I'd love to know a bit more about you and the sport of canny cross, because uh, I guess probably some of our listeners don't know anything about canny cross. So mm. could you fill us in a little bit? Yeah, certainly. Well, canny cross is basically running with your dog off road um, and the dog actually assists you in running. So they wear a special harness. You wear a special harness as well, a belt, a running belt, and you're joined together with a bungee line. The bungee line obviously absorbs the, the shock and so it's it's kinder on your dog's joints and kinder on your joints as well. Um and that's basically canny cross in a nutshell. So it's yeah, it's off road off road running, um, assisted running. And when I do when park run was up and running, um I'd have you know, you'd run past and people give me, Oh, that's cheating, that's cheating, you know. <laughs> it's like it's his own sport, you know, canny cross is its own sport now and there's lots of people getting out and getting fit and active with their with their dog and um yeah it's great for the for the dog because it basically gives them a job to do because they've obviously bred i've got some gsps they're they're bred to do hunting shooting and all of that um and most most dogs have been refined to do a job and they've got nothing to do so this just basically gets them out physically tires them out and mentally as well um tires them out as well so um that sounds really fun. It's, it is fun. It is very good. Once you run with a dog, it's like such hard work running without one. Such <laughs> hard work. Yeah, yeah. And can you um, can you sort of compete with other canny crossers? Are there races and things like that or meets? Yeah, there are races. Yeah, I used to race. I'm, I I haven't raced um, competitively for a long time now. Well, probably about four or five years, something like that. I did. I was a representative of Team GB in the European wow. Championships, um, but all that's behind me. Been there, done that, and it's like, no, this is this is not for me. I'm just sort of making up the numbers now. I've um, my racing legs have definitely gone. 
But um, but yeah, there are races out there. It's getting the sport is getting more and more popular as people obviously I think through lockdown as well. People have started um, obviously the increase of people purchasing dogs. Although you can't kindly cross with a dog until it's over twelve months old because of the bone structure and everything. Um, it's just it's just exploded and people I think are finding the benefit. I think there's more people out running anyway than yeah. I can, than than's usually about because they can't do anything else and it's like well, let's exactly. give running a try. And again, we we can run around our local woods and people are like, oh, never seen it before. What's that? Stop and have a chat. And it's like come along, try some kit out. Make sure you've got the right kit because that's important, obviously, for yourself and for your dog. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it, there are there are races there there's things to do but um i just like meeting up when we could meeting up with people going for a run having a chit chat and a bit of a social and um it ticks the boxes the dogs have been out and run sort of maybe three miles you've gone out and run for three miles and you're back in in home sort of within an hour so it, everyone's a winner eh? yeah it is win-win situation definitely Definitely. Um, what What would you say to any of our listeners who are thinking of getting into Canicross? What are the first steps? The best way to to get involved? Find a, a local a local club. Ideally, um, have a lesson, because then it's not just a case of rocking up and and harnessing off and off you go. There is obviously a method behind how you teach your dog to to do your requests and rewards and how they you know and understand how they learn. And, and everything like that, just to get the most out of it. So you can adjust your dog's pace on, on, on voice requests. Because obviously, if you're going to go out for a 10-mile run, your dog doesn't know that. So you have to adjust their pace accordingly. It's, it's no, no different to if I'm starting to teach a group. You know, I'd say to people, if I said to you, we're going to do a marathon, you won't be sprinting along. If I said to you, we're only going to do a mile, you're going to be sprinting along. But sure. your dog hasn't got, can't understand that. So... That's why it's important to understand how to pace your dog properly. Um, but yeah, definitely find there's loads of groups springing up now, especially through Facebook. Um, find somebody that that knows what they're doing. Ideally, have a lesson if you can find it. Well, you can't at the moment, but you know, in, in time, have a lesson. Then at least you've got some more background knowledge of, of how your dog and, and especially how it's physically going to affect you and how you run with a dog differently, things like that. So, um, and make sure that the harness fits properly and that the harness that you wear fits around your hips, not around your waist. Cause if it goes around your waist, it's really going to be very uncomfortable. If you've got a strong Korean dog, it's just going to try and pull you in half and keep spinning around. So, um, the equipment is important to have the right fitting equipment. Definitely. Great. Great. Thank you very, very much for those tips. And um, I will definitely be looking out for a local club after lockdown's over. Yeah. Um, our uh, club mascot here at Bookhounds is Penny Flo the Whippet. Yes. And uh, she is a fantastic runner. So if she can make my running any better, that would be great. She'd, she'd be good for the sprint. I imagine she's good sprinting and then she'd tail off a bit. But um, but then that's... Yeah, maybe 5k. To, yeah, that's all down to the training if you want to sort of increase the distance and everything. So, um, yes, yeah. That's great. Can't wait for that. Um, so just uh, just going to go for a quick fire question round before we get into the book, just so that um, our listeners can get to know uh, you lot, us lot better, decide whether or not they're going to trust our review of the book. Um, <laughs> so uh, Jack and Helen, uh, tea or coffee, Jack? 
Coffee. Oh, Ellen? I'm coffee. Yeah. Coffee. Do you know what? I used to be like a massive tea snob um, oh, and yeah. never drank coffee. But then I got a puppy and now I, drink, I have to drink coffee every day <laughs> um, to, to keep up with my my, uh, my little pup. Um, I think we might know the answer to this one, but maybe not for Jack, though. Cats or dogs, Jack? Dogs. Dogs, okay. Just to, just to um, give an insight into Jack's life, um, Jack does have a kind of cat that sort of is not theirs, but sometimes is. Yeah. You still pick dogs? Well, yeah, I... I... I have a, a very sort of fairy tale esque story of my uh, teenage years and discovering a sheepdog on the North Yorkshire moors where I lived, um, and he was just kind of running, running loose. Um, and I ended up taking him home, and we became the best of friends just when we needed each other most. And it was uh, very Jack. Beautiful. There's a book in that. I know. I know there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So copyright <laughs> that. <laughs> What's the name of that dog? Tommy. Finding Tommy. There you go. <laughs> Doesn't have quite the same ring, does it? <laughs> um, Helen, cats or dogs? Uh, dogs. Or dogs. <laughs> we we could have guessed that one. I was scared as, scared as a child mentally. My aunt used to have a Siamese that used to just fling itself at me with claws um, and hide under the sofa. And if you put your foot down, it would just go swipe for you. So it was, um, yeah, just cats put the fear of God. And of course, they pick up on that. So if I ever go into anybody's house with a cat, it always makes a beeline for me. So I'm always on like tender hooks, you know. So, um, yeah, dogs all the way. Dogs for me too, goes without saying. Um, uh, run long or run fast, Jack? How long is long? <laughs> Sorry, this is supposed to be quick fire, isn't it? Really? This is um, quick fire, yeah. <laughs> Don't procrastinate. What do you say, Jack? I'll, I'll go long. Run long. I don't believe you. Jack's a very fast runner, listeners. But, um, <laughs> Jack's probably answer is long and fast. Um, Helen, lo- long or fast? Uh, long. I prefer a longer, a longer distance. Far. I like to, I like to tootle along for a yeah. couple of hours. Would be is lovely. <laughs> yeah, me too. The longer you're out, the the less you're worrying about what's going on in in the real world, and you can just get and see a running head. Uh, and then finally, road running or trail running. Uh, Jack? Trail. Helen? Trail. Yeah, I mean, if I had my way, trail, but um, uh, at the moment, living in central Liverpool, um, there's not that many trails in, in close um, close to my house, so it's going to have to be a bit of both for now, unfortunately. Um, anyway, so thank you for the, the quick fire round. Let's go on to the book. So as I say, we are reading Finding Gobi uh, by Dion Leonard. And I'm just going to really quickly read you um, the description on the dust jacket so that you know what this book is all about, at least according to, to the publishers who wrote this. So, uh, Dion Leonard unexpectedly stumbled across a little stray dog while competing in a gruelling 155-mile race across the Chinese Gobi Desert. The lovable pup, who earned the name Gobi, proved that what she lacked in size, she more than made up for in heart. As she went step for step, with Dion for nearly 80 miles. As Dion witnessed the incredible determination of this small animal, he felt something change within himself. And then they say, finding Gobi is the ultimate story of hope, of resilience and of friendship, proving once again that dogs really are man's best friend. So that's the book, Finding Gobi. Um, So Jack and Helen, what are your first impressions? Like uh, if I could just say like, how did you find the book? 
yeah I, I i really enjoyed it yeah it was a bit um i didn't warm to him initially to dion um because he he's he's almost the opposite of of, of what i am competitive wise um so it's a bit like oh it's all you know it's must win this that and the other um but then obviously through the through the uh, through the book i i warmed to him definitely but um yeah, it was. Um, it was. It, although, obviously, it's got the pictures in it and everything, so you get the rough idea of what's going to be happening. Um, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was uh, definitely. I, I, I got through it in probably a couple of days. So it was one of those. Which I, <laughs> what happens next? What happens next? You know, it's quite a page turner, yeah. I think. Yeah, especially yeah. when she sort of get gets lost. Um, yeah, and, and quite. Quite emotional as well in places. I found myself crying um, when I was reading it, but um, maybe that's yeah. just me. I'm quite soft. Yeah, I can, I can, I can uh, um, resonate with that definitely, definitely. But it's you know, it's it's a dog, and you can't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't get so attached. But you do. <laughs> you can't help do. it. Yeah, Jack. What What were your first impressions? Yeah, I mean, um, it was kind of a a lighter read than I than I expected yeah it was a lighter read than I expected um you know he's got this lovely dog following and he seems like he's just sort of dead set on just running the race and he's almost a bit irritated by it um but obviously that's not the theme throughout the book it, it things change um so yeah my initial impressions were a bit like I wasn't I didn't sort of see eye to eye with him so much but did you enjoy the book though overall overall yeah yeah I did enjoy it yeah yeah Good. Okay. So let's just start at the, at the beginning then. So um, Dion flies into China and um, it's like you've, you've both sort of said, he's kind of a bit grumpy. Um, he keeps himself to himself and he's at the start of this epic race in the Gobi Desert. Um, and he seems like he's going to win this thing. Like he, he's really determined. Um, and so at this stage, you're both saying you didn't quite warm to Dion. You didn't really. That's not. That's not your way of competing, or no. I, I find I. I'm. I'm not competitive. It's not when I even when I was competing in races, I was never good enough that I knew. I guess that's probably why I. I was never good enough that I thought I could get on the podium. So it was just to see, to see whether I could make you know top twenty or something like or top ten, but it wasn't the be or an end or and like with. With Candy Cross, if the dog stops to go to the toilet, then then that's do you know what I mean? That's that's that, and and I, I wouldn't get I wouldn't get cross. I mean, obviously, you can get to the point you'll train the dog that they they've done the business, so they they and they won't stop. And a Candy Cross race is only three miles long. That's it. That's as long as it is. So you can train them to this is what you're going to do. You're not going to stop, and and that's it. But that's not in a, a negative because obviously that's why you've got Olympians and everything because they've got it in them to purely focus to the job the task in hand and block everything else out because that's their one goal and that's what they're going to focus on so um yeah, absolutely I wonder um whether it's hard to relate um so for me like I I'd love to think I could do something like this but I haven't ever done a, a multi-stage ultra so I don't know if it's hard to say like how I would be um I, and yeah I probably wouldn't be competing for the podium but then I sort of understand why Dion is trying to get in the zone 
because it is quite a task in, in ahead of him to be running for the best part of a week and um, uh, so many miles in these grueling conditions. Um, Jack, you're kind of competitive or quietly competitive, I'd say. What what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always I've always had in mind with with my running that. Um, when I first started running and I was, I was very sort of obsessive about it really. And I remember someone saying to me, but isn't running such a, it's just so sort of self-indulgent and like, it's all about you. And, you know, if somebody runs past you like in the street and they're on a run, like they'll just, they'll just keep going and they'll ignore the, the pedestrians and like, it's always about them. And so I've always kind of had that in the back of my mind with my running. Like, I don't want to be that person. I want, I want to be, I want to try and be considerate. Um, and I feel like, he he kind of at the beginning anyway he he he's embodying that attitude um but when it comes to running yeah i totally i do totally relate to the the tunnel visionness of it and um you know i have made my partner stand you know for an hour and you know two hours in the rain waiting for me to finish a half marathon and like had expectations of of other people to to um, support me in running and stuff but I, I think it's just the fact it's <laughs> just the fact this is an adorable little dog um you know and he's kind of <laughs> there's a there's a bit quite quite close to the beginning where he's going to cross the stream he's got to cross a stream and he kind of leaves her on one side of the stream and she's crying for him and I'm like what the hell man I just <laughs> just like pick up the dog he does go back <laughs> yeah but like eventually but then I suppose um I've never invested that much money for a race you know I've never I've never traveled to China for a race I've never raced that distance like you know marathon training I'm sure you know you remember as well Sha. like you really put your life on hold for like for training for a, for a long run and it just becomes who you are in that period and I almost can't remember when I've had like periods of doing like lots of long runs and like sort of wholeheartedly training like I can't when I'm not doing that I can hardly relate to the version of myself that I was then either like you know so yeah to try and relate to him running hundreds of miles across the Chinese desert you know maybe maybe I need to be a bit more uh, maybe I need to be a bit more considerate yeah. <laughs> Although I'm I'm the I'm that runner that waves at everybody and nobody ever waves back at yeah me. you are lovely on runs to be fair <laughs> Unless I'm doing some kind of um, interval session and then please don't don't come anywhere near me. Um, anyways, so, um, Mo, well, the first half of this book is kind of set in this multi-stage um, ultra race. Um, do you think that's a good setting for a book? Do you think that brings some excitement, some atmosphere to it? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting. I've, I've never, I don't think my, I mean, I struggle if I have to do laps for a park run if it's like a three lap park run I struggle doing that mentally um and I've done, my, the longest distance I've done is a half marathon which I, I enjoy I enjoy that distance marathon just I'm like oh I don't know that doesn't appeal to me and anything longer I just I, I just I don't know how these people do it I really don't I, I have such admiration that they obviously it's just that continuously to just put one foot in front of it and another so it was interesting to read about um, a multi-stage, something like that, where you're, you're, you're putting your life on, on the line every day in, in the book. You know, you, 
it's something completely different something like like that it really is pushing you to the boundaries it really is yeah I thought it was really interesting in in terms of the actual setup because mm. I can sort of get my head into the idea of um you know doing a, a long run and then going to sleep and then getting up and doing another long run you know for a few days like that kind of appeals mm. but then it's this um all sharing a tent and <laughs> not having enough calories and not and, having a shower know. any access to water like that is it okay. it's very extreme proper yes. extreme isn't it and the fact they've got to take all their own food on their own back and and yeah it really is that's it really is down to that ultimate of survival yeah for the survival instinct in everybody to to kick in which it doesn't on every in everyday life it that that's not it is it you know you know you're in the cupboard and you know you're gonna be able to turn the tap on and get water whenever and and make yourself comfortable and not have to feel uncomfortable um exactly and it's not so it's not even about um the idea of oh that's a really long run it's like everything else like if you do a half marathon or you do a marathon usually like go out for a really big meal afterwards yeah then you sleep in a nice comfy bed yeah um jack what what do you think about this do you fancy doing a a multi-stage ultra Uh, (laughs) um i I do think that um sort of reading him describing it was the closest that i've ever come to kind of being able to understand what's actually involved um and I think I, I could see myself doing it. Yeah, yeah. It seems like the logical progression of doing like a, a 36 mile run, which is the longest that I've done and Shah's done. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's the idea of like anyone who knows me will know how hard I find just, just traveling anywhere because I, I'll have like, you know, 10 books just for each possible different scenario that I might find myself in. You know, if I get bored, you know, like I, a whole bag just full of snacks like I can't imagine being like you have to run with this over the next five days on your back like so pack carefully like I just don't think I think that might be the hardest part of it for me rather than the actual running it'll be the I'll have to sort myself out yeah Jack I think you could run 150 miles across the desert but I don't think you could pack for it <laughs> yeah yeah you're probably right um, let's just uh, talk about um, a couple of the, the big incidents during the ultra race. Um, so um, just to sort of recap, um, the star of the race, or at least that's what we're kind of told at the start, mm. is this um, ultra runner called Tommy Chen. Um, and there's these two incidents. Um, first of all, um, uh, this kind of allegation that Tommy might have cheated. And then um, when Dion uh, helps Tommy when he collapses. And I'm just wondering how they changed your perception of Dion if at all um so let's start with the the first incident so Tommy takes a different kind of easier course to the official route um what do you think was this an accident did he cheat I I don't I don't know I honestly don't know because I think if if he did cheat then he would have been aware that there would have been people behind him or he would have been able to be viewed um and then his reputation's on the line but then um, Dion was sort of saying that there's markers every so often, so it was, you, and you're not like you're not going a flat out pace that you might miss something like that. And obviously, he's experienced enough to know what's expected and to look out for these markers in case he takes a wrong turn. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I honestly, I don't know on that one. I mean, obviously, um, it was good that Dion cleared the air as soon as he got back, uh, just and just to put it behind him and, and sort of move forward. I guess that's obviously needed to do that mentally, just to rot, not to dwell on it, sort of thing. But um, I don't know. It's a, it's a. T- I'd be surprised if he if he did because you think we all. I suppose you're going. You're going to gain time. But um, I don't know. I think he's probably got more to lose than, than gain. So I'm, I'm undecided. I'm on the fence on that one. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we obviously can't say it's all speculation. Yeah. Um, yeah. There have been um, a few reports of people cheating in, in ultras. Oh, right. Um, and I, I find it a bit bizarre, really, because, yeah, as we were sort of just saying, you really do put, put your life um, on, on the line in some ways and you really have to work so hard to even get to the start line of an ultra. So I don't get why you would then cheat just to gain a little advantage. There was one that was um, a loop race um, and uh, this guy went into the toilets. Uh, he came out of the toilet and went over the, the kind of checkpoint that clicks to say you've done another lap, wow. but he hadn't done another lap. He'd just spent like five minutes in the loo and he kept doing this. Um, but he, he had got to that level that he was able to run an ultra. So I don't know, maybe just the temptation for some people to, to win at all cost, even though they, they are capable of running it. Well, what's, I mean, if you were sort of stood on the finish line, I mean, st- st- stood on the podium and, you know, you'd won or even got on any position on the podium and in the back of your mind, you were like, I didn't actually, I don't deserve to be here. Like I didn't, I didn't run what this person next to me ran. Like I, I couldn't, I don't think I could, um, could cope with that to be honest but again it's maybe it's a mindset that I'm just not well you've obviously got a good conscience Jack but some people just want to win don't they <laughs> but you haven't won you've just yeah. <laughs> you've just stood on a podium but you haven't won that's right um so it's it's quite um funny then or sort of weird kind of juxtaposition of um there's this incident where Dion gets very uh, angry with what's happened with Tommy and then quite soon afterwards He's put in this position of having to help him. Um, Tommy's really dehydrated. He's suffering from heat stroke. He, he can't go any further. And he's just kind of in the middle of the desert. There's no help around. And it's just Dion and Tommy. Um, and Dion essentially sacrifices his race time to, to help um, and risks his own health because he, he gives Tommy a spare water bottle. Um, what did you make of this, uh, this episode, Jack? I would have liked a bit more detail of like what motivated Dion to sort of to do that, you know, go, go, in contrast to his previous attitude towards Tommy and and like now he's like sort of supporting him. I, I get that he was motivated by the fact he wanted to save his life and things, but I kind of... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I've got such a strong conscience. <laughs> um, not so much motivated him to do it, obviously that was kind of, you know, that is how you'd react in that situation. But um, I felt like there was no, there was no real like resolution of the, the sort of the cheating incident, and it was just kind of all overshadowed by this like him saving Tommy, which which obviously was more important. And I'm th- I'm filling in the gaps like to Dion, he realised that it actually it was more important to just like mm. have camaraderie with your fellow racers and and like support each other and like like that was lovely. Um, but I. 
I think when the when the cheating incident happened, I was kind of a bit like, oh, what's gonna like, what did happen, and did he cheat? Oh, I don't know, and like I never got that resolved. So, um, but yeah, I, th- I I think that was kind of along with obviously finding Gobi, um, that was the like a sort of pivotal um, moment for for Tom um, sorry, for Dion in like ch- his sort of changing attitude towards like. Um, sort of a tunnel visioned approach to the race I guess yeah I I, I agree um definitely a, a turning point and it was he had to to you know to make he had a decision and he had to he had to make the decision and, and it fell on obviously human instinct to, to save I and I imagine on these long distances that the camaraderie must must be there if some if you know if you come across somebody that's injured then then you either stay with them or go on to the next checkpoint, you know. But something like that, where he, where he he understood that it was obviously life and life or death situation. Mm-hmm. It was close, um, so he, he, you know, he. I don't think he had any choice. To be fair, um, and there probably wasn't really much of a decision that he had to make. I mean, it's just human instinct to to um, to help. Definitely. But definitely at that point, he that was it because he he had to obviously his ego side of things. Do I um, leave this chap and win the race? But ultimately, it was like no, I, I, you know I, I can't do that. So and once he'd made that decision, then obviously it was um, save the guy and then just recoup where where I can because first place at that point had gone out the window and he knew mm. that he understood that. So it was obviously. Um, yeah, yeah, his ego had to take a back a back step, and uh, he had to do the right thing. Luckily, but yeah. It, yeah, I do agree it was a pivotal. That was his softening point. Mm. He come out of that decision. Almost a reality check, I think, with this mm. moment, and then with um, his kind of shifting attitude towards um, Gobi. It's like um, the, it's not the be all and end all. The the racing. Yes. You know, it, he comes yeah. into this you know so tunnel visioned racing is everything like he has to win this race mm. but then we find out throughout the race there's more important things yes um so let's talk about Gobi. let's talk about this lovely doggy <laughs> so um on the second day of the race this scrappy little dog shows up and uh, for some unknown reason he sort of seems to attach himself to dion straight away um and they spend the day running together um, and Dion just uh, yeah really bonds with this dog and, and names her Gobi. Um, I, I guess um, why this story is so incredible in many ways is that he only really knows this dog for five days, um, and but he he just gets this attachment to her that he just knows he has to bring her home, um, and he ends up totally upturning his life for this little dog, this little stray in the middle of China that he's known for five days. Um, so what do you make of this? Like, why does Gobi become so important to Dion so quickly? Is that the mentality of an ultra runner? You know, like once you've got something in your mind, you kind of just like go all out to make it happen. Um, it could be that, yeah. I mean, maybe ultimately, but it's it, it was odd to start with how he, he just kind of, he kept reiterating like it wasn't even his dog like it's not like he didn't need to he didn't need to pay attention to it It wasn't even his dog 
And that was kind of what irritated me at the beginning. It's like it doesn't. It's like nobody's dog built like actually belongs to somebody. That's a very sort of speciesist mentality. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then sort of all of a sudden, at first I was like, is it just has he just got runners high, and that's why he's suddenly really fond of the dog? <laughs> like, is it is it the endorphins? But yeah, then he's just he's he's so committed to her, um, and I don't. Yeah, I don't really know. I I couldn't kind of. There was no obvious kind of like inner reflection on his part as to like what what had shifted it was just like all of a sudden like he he'd just sort of fallen in love with her um and I suppose it was it was the fact that they'd they'd done this together you know they'd like it, it was the running it was the journey itself like literally it was it was it was bonding with her on that run and it was her staying by his side and I suppose ultra running especially in you know in the middle of the Chinese desert is a very solitary, like lonely, um, lonely act. Um, and he had a companion and, and like, that was, that just locked it, like locked yeah. their, their friendship. Yeah. What do you reckon, Helen? Is there more to it than this? Is it, is it just that they ran together or what's going on with Dion? The couple of stay, I think, yeah, he obviously enjoyed looking down and there was this little um, companion with him. And then the couple of stages that he couldn't because he knew it was going to be too hot, and then he let his he let his mind wander to think think of her, and I think then he sort of that was his chink in the armor basically he sort of let her let her get under his skin, and then I get I think it got to a point that everybody was sort of referring was seeing them together almost, and I I suppose it's that abandonment at the end of it it was like well I can't just you know, what is her backstory? And he'd obviously, he'd had a dog before um, and it was interesting when he said that the um, the grieving process was, was that bad that they were like, we're not going to get another dog. So maybe that sparked something like that and he and he suddenly found something out, you know, in his heart to, that he wanted to let, let something in, let, you know, let another dog in. I don't know. I mean, dogs just, I've, I've done the same with a rescue. I've, we had three dogs and I was like, no, we don't need another one. <laughs> and I saw this dog and it's like, yeah, we have a, you know, and, and no rhyme, the reason, but just something, you know, looked in her eyes and I, and I just thought, yeah, you're going to be coming home with me. So, um, so I've, I've, I've been there, you know, and you think you, we haven't got room in the car for three dogs. So we had to get another car. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know and it's like we're gonna have to get a bigger car and we're gonna have to do this and we're gonna have to get you know change layouts and and this that and the other and and it's for for this dog i've literally sort of spent an hour with I've, yeah. so i've been there and there's no rhyme or reason it's just pulling at the heartstrings yeah definitely definitely i mean yeah it's it's really when you're a dog lover it's really hard to resist isn't it yes. but if i'm dead honest like i can't imagine that i would do this that I would turn my life totally upside down for for this little scrappy dog that I'd just met. Um, so I'm kind of go- I'm going to do a bit of pop, pop psychoanalysis on, on Dion because I think there's more going on here and I think Helen used the word abandonment mm. and I think that there's something about Gobi and finding Gobi and fighting for Gobi that Dion almost um, didn't have for himself. Mm. And um, I read an, an online review that criticised the book said there were too many passages about Dion's upbringing that was unrelated. But I actually think that it's absolutely essential. 
Um, I think everything about Dion's life and his childhood really relates to why he fought so hard for Gobi. Um, and it was this kind of sense of, of belonging and togetherness. And um, for me, that's that's what this was all about because I just don't understand why someone would totally turn, turn their lives upside down for a, a dog they barely knew if it wasn't for something that really kind of tapped into hmm. something deep inside themselves. Yes. Um, so um, when I interviewed Dion, um, and if you want to read that interview, it's available to Bookhound members only on uh, Bookhound's website. Um, well, it'll be live now by the time this podcast goes up. Um, when I uh, spoke to him, I couldn't help but pick up on a few things that he says about his relationship to running, because obviously Bookhounds exists to share the joy of, of reading and running. And so the fact that we put picked this book as our first book, when Zion says these sort of strange things about running. Um, so just, um, for example, he says, running is never fun. That's a direct quote. And then he also says, I don't love running. I don't really like it either. So as readers who are also runners, um, what did you make of that? Um, yeah, I don't like running either. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's hard work. And, you, and, you, and, you, and you're constantly pushing yourself to take that next step I mean it's it's not it's not fun but when you've with a dog it is fun because the dog's obviously helping you and uh, it's not such hard work and you can have a conversation um while you're running along rather than sort of gasping for breath but um yeah I think I don't know to be running that sort of distance when you when you you, you don't like it it's obviously a lot more um mental for him and obviously the, the the endorphins it releases it's it's uh it's the um the ultimate package at the at the end of the run i, I guess that's um that's keeping him going what do you reckon jack do you like running i do now yeah like the i sort of i always tell people who aren't into running or you know who are just getting into it and they're, they're kind of like how do you how do you motivate yourself to, to get up in the morning go for a run like how can you run like long distances and stuff and like I I for maybe like the first sort of five years of running I especially as I was kind of living in a very hot country at the when I first got into running I can remember that like every single run I would get to the point on the run where I would just be like don't know why I'm doing this like I'm just I'm I'm not enjoying this this is the last run that I'm doing and then it would always kind of be like the the feeling at the end of the run, the endorphins, like the the kind of the sustained feeling of well-being that I'd have as I developed a habit of running that like motivated me to keep doing it. And now I do enjoy running. Like I, I do, I, I love going on my runs. Um, but maybe it's a whole different story again when you get into sort of ultra racing. You know, maybe I'd, I'd be going through that whole process again of get like Dion does says at one point like he you know he gets to a point and he's telling himself he's asking himself why he's doing it like why is he putting himself through this and yeah I can totally I can totally relate to that it's interesting though that he says that he'd said that in an interview you know after after the run he's, he's openly telling people that he doesn't he doesn't really like running um yeah it, it just it does feel like it must feel like when you're running those distances, like you're doing a very unnatural thing, you know, when your body's, when you're dehydrated, you've got a headache, your body's telling you to stop and you're still pushing yourself on. Like, 
every part of you must be saying like this isn't fun <laughs> but um, what is it that they say about running it's sort of what is it 90 percent in the mind and 10 percent in the body something like that and that is true and I guess um to to do these distances in these conditions it is really a test of the mind rather than the body in some ways I mean obviously the body plays a huge part but um yeah it's interesting that um and I, I, I think uh a lot of people say that, oh, I don't like running. And that always makes me feel a bit sad because I, I love running, but I can also relate to that idea because, yeah, it's hard. It's like you said, Helen, it's hard. Mm. Um, but it's also like you just said, Jack, like there is never anyone ever of any time who went out on a run and then came back and said, oh, we shan't done that. Mm. Like, wow. You always feel better after a run. Like it always makes you feel good. Yeah. Um, no matter what so I do think a little bit with the the mind body sort of dichotomy I get I have a bit of an issue with that general concept I know it's a it's a it's a, a well-worn phrase but I I often think there's a point at which your mind's telling you not to do something or like you might you're training your mind to overcome what your body's telling you like you do need to stop and you do need to listen to your body because I they do relate to each other you know it's not it, it kind of encourages people to think that like doesn't matter what your body's saying like just hone your mind and keep pushing and it's like no your mind is in relationship with your body and like you've got to try and the aim should be to get the two working together and still being able to have a healthy lifestyle kind of thing that's a very good point jack thank you please be holistic in your running listeners um if you are really hurting um you probably should stop don't get injured um, so just to, just back to the plot for the last last couple of questions um so after coming home um to edinburgh um dion thinks he's left goby in safe hands with um Nirali, um but uh, goby goes missing and this leads dion to temporarily abandon his life in scotland heading back to china um, there's quite a lot of speculation about the role of Nurali and her husband um, and what role he play, uh, they played in Gobi both going missing and being found. So what did you make of that? Did, does anyone have any theories on what actually happened to Gobi when she was left in China? I, I think, I mean, he he had to make a decision. He obviously decided that... that um, he wanted to bring her back in. So then he had to make a decision of who he's going to trust to leave. So his choices were limited. Yes. He obviously chose as, as wise as, as he could without really knowing the person. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just like to focus on the fact that it was a positive outcome. Mm. I think the social media side of things with the crowdfunding could have... Um, swayed people it could have led to temptation with people i don't know if social media you know you've got the the, the positives and, and the negatives the whole side of things like was mentioned the the amount of money so it could have meant that people might have thought we can this is an easy way to make money um i, I don't know i just like to focus on the fact that it's it was a positive outcome yeah, I mean that's all. That's all I'd really like to say. It's it was a it was a positive outcome. So it's not not irrelevant, but it is to a point. It's you know it's one of those. There's no point digging dirt and trying to lay lay blame somewhere. It's it it, it is what it is. And and um, yeah, he done he done what he 
he had to do what he felt was 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 right at the time and that and that was his choice so that's that. yeah absolutely yeah very positive way of looking at things Helen <laughs> uh, yes Jack go on yeah. Did it say something yeah. scandalous <laughs> I'm bad cop aren't I <laughs> yeah so I think I, w- I would be wary as well of like there's there's obviously cultural differences between um you know Nirali's idea of what you know how much of a priority Gobi was and and yeah I, I kind of felt like maybe Dion wasn't um was expecting Nirali um, Gobi to be the sort of as much of a priority to him um, as as she was to Nirali, and like you know, given sort of Nirali being sort of Chinese and and, and dogs not being sort of as commonly loved as pets um, as as they they were sort of in you know Dion's background. Um, that maybe that was something to consider as well. Um, yeah, it's very true. It's hard. It's, it's hard to speculate. But I do like the idea that there was kind of oh, there may be a scandal here, but um, we we don't really know. Um, so let's go with Helen's nice positive spin on it. And <laughs> it was a happy ending, so it doesn't matter. We don't need to speculate too much about what happened. Um, and just just one last thing. Then um, you know you've you've enjoyed reading the book. Um, why do you think this story really captured the imagination of the public and the media so much? Because um, it really took off and uh, Dion's crowdfunder was this phenomenal success. Um, what do you think that was about? Why do you think people love this story? I think it's the, the cute puppy factor. Um, and, and I think people just, it obviously just sparked their imagination and, and, and look for this dog you know how hard can it be sort of thing um and I think that was evident when when Dion went back and it was like yeah. where, where the hell do I start you know streets and streets and traffic and and noise it's it really is a needle in the haystack um I think obviously again social media thing people it, it snowballs and then people want to be part of it and say to their friends we're part of it and we've made a donation and everything like that and just just willing that um, this this guy finds is reunited with his with his little dog, really. Yeah, I think it was it was an an incredible story and an incredible feat by both Dion and Gobi to like you know for Gobi to run with him for sort of seventy odd miles across the desert. Um, and I can see. I mean, I'm kind of surprised about how how much that captured everyone's imaginations you know not not just not just runners um but it is a bit of a fairy tale isn't it and, and i can see how you know people the public would want to be involved with that um i mean she she is literally the underdog uh, Goldie. <laughs> and, uh, you're rooting for her aren't you uh, yeah. you really want her to have the happy ending that she deserves you know she's really worked hard running across the desert and um, now she deserves to have a nice cozy life in um well they were in Scotland. They've actually moved to the States now. Um, Gobi's apparently a very well-travelled pooch. Oh, yeah. um, she's got more passport stamps than I do, I think, and she always flies business class. So um, she is living her best life for sure. So it really is a happy ending for, for Gobi. And for Dion too. I, I do believe that this story has changed his life in ways that um, he could never imagine. And, um, yeah, as I say, there is an interview with Dion on the Bookhounds website if you want to check that out. Um, for Bookhounds members that's at bookhounds.club 
Um, so thank you very, very much, both of you, for taking the time to read the book and to um, uh, join the podcast and, and share your, your stories. Um, Helen, if people want to find out more about you and about Canny Cross UK, where can they go? Yeah, if you go onto the website, which is cannycrossuk.com, um, and then you can just click on About Us, um, read all about me. And uh, yeah, and then hopefully we, we'll be having an instructor near you soon. Can't wait. One sweet day, we'll all go running out with our dogs. Uh, that would be really, really lovely. Um, so if you enjoyed this podcast, please do like and sub- subscribe. Ooh, I can say that word. Like and subscribe um, to this podcast. Do check out Bookhounds. Uh, follow us on all the social medias. Uh, and tell your friends. We're a new company here to inspire people to love running, to love reading. Um, and uh, sharing stories about cute little dogs. What more could you want? Uh, So thanks a lot for listening, and we'll see you again next month.